Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Wow, what a debate, right? Or was it a debate at all? What an insane night. Let's talk about what happened, what the state of America is. Trump's rage tweeting this morning, or yesterday, is he apparently got his steroid shot this morning because he was, he was nuts. And he was calling into radio, TV show after TV show. Apparently hasn't done his hair yet. Uh, Phil Proctor of the Firesign Theater just sent around some uh, little memes that he had collected on the Internet one I actually found fascinating, a tweet by Jennifer Wright, that if you look at art, like from the 14th to the 18th century, this is what she says. A fun art history fact. Flies are used to represent rot, wasting away, decay, death, and melancholia. A fly hovering over a church official, this is in a painting from that era, a fly hovering over a church official or a nobleman indicates disfavor with the king or corruption and dereliction of duty. The salty liberal tweets, uh, if that fly laid eggs in Pence's hair, he better carry them to full term. Here's another one. That fly is Mike Pence's only black friend. But the he better carry them to full term thing is really, I mean, this is, we're looking at the American Taliban here. Back in 2009, Barack Obama signed an executive order that reversed an executive order that George W. Bush had signed as a tip of the hat to the American Taliban that said that it was illegal to do any kind of research using stem cells derived from abortions. Bush put a stop to that. In 2009, Obama reversed that and said abortion is legal. If the stem cells are valuable for scientific research and they could save lives, go ahead and use them. Regeneron started using these stem cells and they developed a couple of monoclonal antibodies that were given to Trump that Trump is now saying saved his life. Are you following this? I mean, this is how crazy it gets. So anyhow, there's that. And then, you know, of course, the debate, the New York Times, I thought, did a really, really good job on this. They didn't even bother to try saying, oh, well, you know, Pence said this, but Harris said that. No, this, this is what the New York Times had to say that 
quote, Pence deployed a number of misleading or inaccurate arguments. These are about the coronavirus response. On the Trump administration coronavirus advance, quote, exaggerated or mischaracterized the Obama administration's record in dealing with smaller scale pandemics and employed false, misleading or exaggerated statements in debating abortion, climate change and the administration's record in fighting the Islamic State. I mean, there was such a flurry of lies from from Mike Pence. There was so much BS that it was actually attracting flies and uh, or not metaphorically anyway. Uh, Pence said that the Trump response to the coronavirus was the greatest national mobilization since World War II. Uh, No, not so much. Uh, He said, I think the American people know that this is a president who has put the health of uh, America first and the American people, I believe, with my heart. He's so smarmy, right? You look up smarmy, unctuous in the dictionary, and there's a picture of Mike Pence. I believe in my heart that the American people can be proud of the sacrifices they have made. Nick Cordero's wife, widow, uh, did a, I don't know if it was TikTok or uh, Instagram or whatever, did a little video on this a couple days ago saying, you know, he's the 41-year-old Broadway uh, star and athlete who died of coronavirus after having lost a leg to it. They had to saw off his leg because of a blood clot because coronavirus is basically a, you know, inflammation of the vascular system disease. Uh, She said, you know, yeah, it upended our lives. It dominated our lives, I think was the phrase she used, because Trump said, don't let it dominate your life. Um, Pence sat there and he says, President Trump and I have plans to improve health care and to protect protect pre-existing conditions for every American. Right. As they and roughly 20 Republican attorneys general from Republican-controlled states are arguing at the Supreme Court, a case that will be heard a week after the election, that Obamacare in its entirety needs to be struck down. It's mind-boggling. Meanwhile, in Detroit, this is just breaking news. The Detroit News just broke this story. The FBI says they thwarted a militia plot to kill or kidnap the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Gretchen Whitmer. I mean, this is... this is where we're at. This is, this is the crazy stuff that this guy has been spreading. This, this whole authoritarian shtick that, that Trump is promoting. And then Mike Lee comes out, the senator from Utah, the Republican you know, senator from Utah, and says, oh, we're not a democracy, we're a republic. The implicit, therefore, being, you know, democracy is where the majority of people decide things. And... I mean, this is the old... uh, Joe McCarthy started this back in the 50s when he said, don't ever say Democratic Party, always say Democrat Party with the emphasis on the rat. That That was his expression. And the reason why, he said, was because Democratic sounds too nice. People like democracy. People like democratic things. You want to be democratic with people around you, right? You want to share and share alike. So don't use that word to describe the Democratic Party. Call it the Democrat Party. And don't, don't call America a democracy, because that sounds like democratic. Call America a republic. I mean, the fact of the matter is that at the founding of this republic, 
the words democracy and republic were essentially interchangeable. It wasn't until the 1950s that we started separating these two words. It wasn't until the 1950s that we put God into the Pledge of Allegiance. It wasn't until the 1950s that Republicans started refusing to say the name of the Democratic Party like it's some kind of weird tick. Like they're afraid to say it out loud. I can't say Democratic. That might burn my mouth. God might strike me down. And, you know, Pence did it again. He made some Democrat reference that should have been Democratic. Meanwhile, Trump, you know, clearly got his steroid shot. He says that Bill Barr can only be considered a successful attorney general if he puts Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama in jail. And Joe Biden, he called Kamala Harris a monster and a communist. He says he knows he's winning the election right now because he's got support from people who own boats. Which reminds you of the old Jack Kennedy saying, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And the, and the response to that, uh, that, uh, yeah, great news if you own a boat. Trump said again that he's done more for black Americans than any president since Abraham Lincoln. And he, and he went off on another rant about Hillary Clinton and her emails. And, you know, which has been investigated to death. I mean, we spent tens of millions of dollars investigating this to discover that there's no there there. But, you know, the Republicans, they, they, they've got a bone. They're going to hang on to it. They're going to keep, keep gnawing away at this thing. So anyway, I'm curious what you thought last night. The other, the other thing that I noticed, and, 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 and Louise noticed actually uh, immediately, was Pence's habit of interrupting Kamala Harris, interrupting the woman. And then on CNN, uh, Rick Santorum uh, interrupts Gloria, <laughs> Gloria Borger. I mean, it's, it's just nuts. It's just this nuts. is the Tom Hartman Program. But anyhow, I'll pick up your phone calls after this break and we can uh, continue this conversation. What do you think happened of consequence? I think the fly was the most consequential thing. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Today's book in our book club is The Hidden History of the War on Voting, Who Stole Your Vote and How to Get It Back by this guy, Tom Harbin. Uh, this is from chapter one, or from the introduction, actually. In 2016, 6% of Americans who were eligible to vote nominated Donald Trump as the GOP's presidential candidate. It was 8% for Hillary Clinton on the Democratic side. Trump went on to be elected president by 26% of eligible voters. The modern American oligarchs have largely stayed in power using three simple elements. Explicit overt racism, massive disinformation campaigns, and voter suppression. No ideas, no push for better schools, hospitals, airports, roads, or bridges, or reform of our health, energy, or financial systems. No promise of more and better jobs. None of these staples of past presidential campaigns can be found in pretty much any Republican advertising today. Instead, the public Republican message is all about race, or the subset of race, religion. Muslim stands in for brown Arab in GOP speak, and immigration, aka brown people from south of our border, and socialism. 
Meanwhile, Republican secretaries of state across the nation are vigorously purging voters from the rolls. Over 17 million, more than 10% of America's active voters, in just the 2016-2018 period, according to NBC News. After the five Republican appointees on the U.S. Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act in 2013, 14 GOP-controlled states moved within a year, some within days, to restrict access to the vote, particularly for communities of color, students, and retired people. In North Carolina, for example, 158 polling places were permanently closed in the 40 counties with the most African-American voters just before the 2016 election, leading to a 16% decline in African-American early voting in that state. An MIT study found that nationwide, Hispanic voters wait 150% longer in line than white voters, and black voters can expect to wait 200% longer in line to vote. In Indiana, then-Governor Mike Pence's new rigorous voter ID law caused an 11.5% drop in African-American voting. Students are suing for their right to vote, and retired people who no longer drive but care passionately about their Social Security and Medicare are being turned away at the polls by the hundreds of thousands because their driver's licenses have expired. The obvious failure of 40-plus years of Reaganomics and GOP policies to maintain a functional middle class in America has been a problem for the modern GOP. In 1974, for example, the GOP had outright control of only seven states. The message, elect us and we'll help the rich people, just didn't generally resonate with American voters. It's the reason why, outside of the fluke elections of 46 and 52, Democrats controlled the House of Representatives outright for three generations, from 1933 to 1996, and controlled the Senate for most of that time. Desperate to win the presidency for the GOP in 1968, Richard Nixon went so far as to commit treason by torpedoing a peace deal with President Lyndon Johnson that President Lyndon Johnson had worked out with the North and South Vietnamese. According to Abul Hassan Bani Sadr, then president of Iran, Ronald Reagan did the same thing by cutting a deal with Iran whereby they would hold on to the U.S. Embassy hostages until after the 1980 presidential election, torpedoing Jimmy Carter's chances of re-election. But in 2000, the GOP changed tactics. After Reagan was almost busted for his part in Iran-Contra, he testified that he had forgotten about details of the program more than 80 times his growing Alzheimer's spared him an indictment. They realized that getting busted for treason wasn't worth the risk. They needed a plan B. And it was deliciously simple. If most voters don't like what you're selling, then just don't let them vote. Paul Weyrich promoted this idea back in 1980 when he was campaigning for Reagan after co-founding the Heritage Foundation. And indeed, many Republican luminaries, such as William Rehnquist, who went from serving the GOP by standing in polling places and intimidating Hispanic and Native American voters in the 1960s to becoming Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, rose up through the ranks by participating in Republican-run voter intimidation schemes. Voter suppression became the foundational go-to tactic for the GOP in 2000. Although the GOP attacked Democratic presidential nominee Al Gore with smear and innuendo, ridiculing him for helping write the legislation that created the modern Internet, for example. The main thing that got George W. Bush into the White House was voter suppression. His brother, Florida Governor Jeb Bush, and Bush's Secretary of State, Catherine Harris, threw somewhere between 20,000 and 90,000 African-American voters off the rolls. They were able to get the vote close enough that five Republican appointees to the Supreme Court functionally awarded Bush the presidency. The BBC covered this in 2001 in two major investigative reports that were seen all over the world, except on any American media. 
By 2016, the Republican Party had fine-tuned its voter suppression and intimidation systems to the point that they ran like well-oiled machines in nearly 30 states. Between the 2012 and 2016 presidential elections, for example, Ohio had purged more than 2 million voters from its rolls, the vast majority, more than 2 to 1, in heavily African-American and Hispanic counties. The five Republican appointees on the Supreme Court ruled in 2017 that they could keep it up, and other states have since adopted their new tactic of caging voters. The book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting, by me. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Paul in Lucerne, California. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. I'd like to talk about misogyny in our culture. Me and my wife watched the debates back to back because she wasn't feeling good last week. And the way that Kamala had to deal with their interruption, she had to be super polite. The way they critiqued her versus Pence was totally held her to a way higher standard. It's not fair. I mean, she had to hold back. She could have eviscerated him, but if she did, she would have came off as the B word or mean and nasty. But that's a problem because we can't have two standards. You're an equal. You're not, a man is not better than a woman. And that's the way Pence treated her. And he treated the moderator the same way. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're both women. And and, and Kamala Harris, of course, is a woman of color. But I think that Mike Pence lives in a world, grew up in a world, whatever. You know, he's up to his eyeballs in Christian Taliban stuff. Religious theocracy is his his whole thing. That's why the presidency. He couldn't have shown up to talk to her if mother wasn't in the room. (laughs) Yeah, I thought maybe the plexiglass, they were going to put her in a plexiglass box. That might have been an exception because technically they wouldn't be in the same room together. She'd be in like a phone booth. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that's going nuts on this is that Mike Pence's eyes were red. I tweeted it. I said, oh, my God, Mike Pence's eyes are red. And they were. And that's a symptom of COVID. And I think he, and, and then the fly think, shows up, right? I think Trump tried to give Joe COVID on purpose. You know, sorry, it's entirely I possible. I can't read his mind, but he's, he's enough of a petty and vindictive man. Paul, thanks for the call. You know, who knows? Alfredo in Mountain View, California. Hey, Alfredo, what's on your mind? Yeah, Tom, thank you for taking my call. Can you please clarify, you know, uh, the GOP in Pennsylvania, I heard, is trying to form this so-called integrity committee to have complete oversight on mailing ballots, which sounds to me like a Correct. sham. Yeah, so can you clarify what's going on there? And I take my answer off the air. Thanks. Sure. Yeah, the uh, president is not elected by the people. The president is elected by the Electoral College. And the Electoral College can be uh, appointed or put forward. The electors can be put forward by the state legislature using any criteria they want. This is in the Constitution. It was clarified in some election legislation passed in 1870 seven or 78 after the election of 1876 in which the democrat won the election but didn't end up in the white house and was amplified by bush v gore in 2000 so what pennsylvania is doing what the republicans in pennsylvania are doing right now are preparing to steal an election in my opinion and this is something i wrote about about back in march i've talked about it numerous times they're going to claim fraud And then they're going to put forward and they're going to say, therefore, we can't tell who actually won. So we're just going to put forward Donald Trump. And they probably have the legal right to do that. So we'll just see how it shakes out. A lot's going to depend on how how strongly Republicans are going to stand with Trump. You can help America return to democracy by telling friends and family how to listen to this and other great progressive programs. Tag your it. 
On the line with us, the former Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights, the former United States Secretary of Labor, and the current chair of the DNC, Tom Perez. Democrats.org is the website. You can tweet him at Tom Perez, P-E-R-E-Z. And Chairman Perez, welcome back to the program. Number one, I just wanted to tell you, I have been getting so much positive feedback from listeners, both on the air and on Twitter and things like that, about IWillVote.com, this website that you guys put up that's basically a portal to all the state's Secretary of State's websites so that people can check their voter registration. And you know, a shocking number of people discovering that they've been purged from voting rolls particularly in Republican-run states. It's pretty alarming, but uh, I wanted to tip my hat to you on that and just get your thoughts on Trump with COVID and all these other, all the other news. Right. Well, I, I really appreciate those kind words, and our team has worked really hard, and we've worked very hard with the Biden team to build that website. And it is one-stop shopping. Regardless of where you're listening from today, you can go to IWillVote.com. And by the way, if you prefer to do it in Spanish, it's VoyaVotar.com. And you can get all the information. And the main thing I would say about it is make a plan and do it early. You mentioned people who've been purged. The main reason I keep telling people to go now is you got bad secretaries of state like Ohio. And, you know, they're a purge capital of the world. And they try to do bad things. And if you find out too late and you can't get back on the registration roll, that's a problem. So check it out. Check it out early. I want to know, Mike Pence is the head of the Coronavirus Task Force. How is it that you failed so miserably? How is it that we have 210,000 deaths? How is it that we still don't have a plan? How is it that 34 states have seen an increase in coronavirus cases in the last month, hospitalizations going up? How is it that you want to do away with access to health care by putting a fork in the Affordable Care Act when we're in the middle of a pandemic? And are you proud of the fact that you have a job loss record that mirrors only Herbert Hoover? Literally the worst jobs president since Herbert Hoover. Yeah, it's pretty mind-boggling. I debated Mike Pence back about a decade ago. And wow. yeah, at the Heritage Foundation, it was put on by Talkers Magazine, the, the talk radio magazine. You know, Mike Pence used to be a, a right-wing talk show host. And I can tell you, the strategy that he used in his debate with me was kind of... The classic Lee Atwater strategy, uh, his staff people had obviously combed through everything I had ever said or written because he pulled out a quote from me, something that I had said in an article I wrote, at least 15 years before this debate happened. I mean, you know, this was on a website that was so obscure and threw that at me. And basically my answer was, yeah, I was wrong then. I've changed my mind. But the... Uh, I'd have to go back and look in, at the article to see which news uh, agency is reporting this, but the headline over at ProPublica, yeah, it's ProPublica.org, the headline, experts yep. alarmed as DOJ issues unusual memo allowing prosecutors to take steps that could interfere with elections. Basically, Bill Barr has just said that the rule that the Department of Justice has that Jim Comey violated four years ago, that we basically don't go public with things that we're concerned about which is a completely different thing from, you know, we just nailed somebody. We don't go public with things that we're concerned about that may affect the election. We're going to blow that rule up. It seems to me like this is just made for Fox News. That He says this has to do with, you know, uh, postal workers or polling places and, and polling workers. And get ready for a barrage of innuendo and fear-mongering. I mean, how do we best respond to that kind of thing if yeah. it happens? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's already happening. All it, Donald Trump himself, oh, the election's rigged. You know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I worked 12 years with the Department of Justice, and we need to put the J back in DOJ. They can't win on the merits, Tom. 
And so they're going to continue to try to distract. Kamala Harris, I know her well. She is a trial lawyer at her core. And good trial lawyers understand you never walk into court unprepared. I mean, Mike Pence has a different style than Donald Trump, but he has the same values. And that's the problem. And he owns the same failures, this administration. And we are 27 days from the most important election of our lifetime. And Mike Pence has been at the middle of some of the most colossal failures of leadership that we have seen in our lifetime. And what's so important, the other thing they're going to try to do, and and you mentioned it implicitly a couple minutes ago, they're going to want to try to divide us. Our unity is our greatest strength. And we are, as a party right now, more united than any time I've seen in decades. So they're going to try to do two things. They're going to try to tear us apart not working and it's not going to work and then secondly they're going to try to distract there's no doubt in my mind that they will do things and they've already done things that are designed to get people discouraged about voting the thing that everybody should keep in mind who's listening here is you have so much control over the next 27 days i'm going to guess that the majority of our listeners right now are in a state where you could vote right now if you wanted to There's a lot of early voting in person that's about to begin and in a couple of cases has begun. So make sure you control what you can control. We can control a lot. And not only do you control your own vote, but make sure you find 10 or 20 people. Ask yourself the question every day, what am I doing to help? We have so many partners in the ecosystem, whether it's Eric Holder's group, Stacey Abrams group, and everybody is working together. And what Donald Trump wants is for everybody to get into a crouch. I do a lot of Spanish language, radio, and television. And that's exactly what he wants the Latino community to feel, is fear. And I'm sure DOJ will be part of the fear-mongering over the next 27 days. We must bring the determination to the ballot box. And we can and will win this as long as everybody gets out there and votes. The energy and the determination is very real. And we cannot and will not allow them to distract. In 2018, it was the, you know, caravans were the distraction. Now it's, you know, again, this socialism pablum, and they're going to continue to try to suppress the vote. We're not going to let it happen, and we're prepared. But again, people have control. I know everybody is nervous. Stay off the polar coaster. You know, I see polls that look good. I don't let that uh, distract me from the task at hand. We are across the finish line and every single listener today don't let them divide us and don't let them dissuade you about exercising your right to vote and find 10 20 30 people that you know that are eligible and call on them every day did you vote did you check iwillvote.com to make sure you're still registered things of that nature you have so much control we can do this Yeah, we absolutely can. And uh, Chairman Perez, uh, you and the DNC and in general, uh, you know, broadly, you guys are doing such a great job. Thank you so much for dropping by and keep up the great work, sir. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Great talking with you. Iwillvote.com. Don't (laughs) memorize that. Don't forget it. (laughs) Memorize that website and uh, tell all your friends, you know, get on social media right now and make sure that, you know, and and promote it. Iwillvote.com. We'll be right back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. 
Hey, did you know that Hillary Clinton actually won Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, North Carolina, and Florida in the 2016 election? It's on page 92 of my new book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. You know, just a couple of points. Well, you know, I think actually I think I've probably made most of the points I want to make. Mike Lee, this is what Mike Lee said. He said, democracy isn't the objective. See, this is, he's echoing three generations now, or two generations, three generations now of Republicans, uh, going back to Joe McCarthy. The word democracy appears nowhere in the Constitution, perhaps because our form of government is not a democracy. It's a constitutional republic. Well, no, it's both. We vote. The hallmark of a democracy is elections. Now, you could argue that the president is not elected in a democratic system, but we've largely fixed that so that the president is elected in in a democratic way. Anyhow, Mike Klee says, to me it matters. It should matter to anyone who worries about the excessive accumulation of power in the hands of the few. Oh, you mean the rich donors to the Republican Party who are funding all this stuff and are saying, and the, you know, the fossil fuel billionaires, et cetera, and are saying, no, it's not a, it's not a democracy. And then he goes on to say, democracy isn't the objective. Liberty, peace, and prosperity are. We want the human condition to flourish. Ranked democracy can thwart that. This is, this is a very dangerous argument that, the, that these guys are making. It's uh, very, you know, it's not a good thing. Mark in Sauk City, Wisconsin. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. It, it, and the other fly in the room was, uh, when the fly wasn't there, was Mike Pence's propensity to not answer the question that was asked and answer whatever right. popped into his foul little brain. That, um, And as getting a little bit more nerdy in my advancing years, you know, turning to the Federalist Papers, I mean, it... You know, it's it's clear that you know that even Hamilton, you know, who was you know more aristocratic minded, warned against the the excesses of aristocracy in in our republic. Um, he warned against in seventy five. He warned against you know men that were more concerned with self and enriching themselves, even at the expense of you know selling this out to foreign powers. Um, that um, I won't bore people with the direct quotes, but I mean that um, that he was deeply, you know, he, you could see his deep concern of that, and, you know, that especially how he closed it out is that there's enemies of our republic in it, that it's, it's how he ended the Federalist, his Federalist paper in 85. It's, I dread more the consequences of new attempts because I know that powerful individuals in this and other states are enemies to a general national government in any possible shape. And that's what Mike Lee and his fellows represent. I mean, they're enemies of the enemies of, of our national government. I mean, they're enemies of, yeah. of our d- democratic republic. Yeah, I, you know, I agree. And, and I think that they are proclaiming it. I mean, you know, Mike Lee is just coming right out and saying, I don't believe in democracy. Well, and, and the subtext of that, obviously, you know, is if Donald Trump loses the popular vote by 5 million or 10 million this time around, uh, you know, tough luck. We're still going to put uh, we're, we're still going to put him into the White House. Um, it's amazing. Mark, thank you. Uh, James in Chicago. Hey, James, what's up? Hi, Tom. Uh, I thought the debate went well. I thought Kamala did good, but 
think there was one question where she had a chance for a knockout and she blew it. And that was when the moderator asked, uh, Pence, how would you and Trump preserve the, the Affordable Care Act? And right then and there, I said, he's not going to answer it and, and, and don't let him get away. And sure enough, he, he uh, detoured to talk about the judges, and Kamala took it hook, line, and sinker, and never went yeah. back to, to uh, him answering that question. And that's the only, and it blew my mind, but that was the only, otherwise she did good. But that was the, one of the most important questions of the night, and, and they let that one get away. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, it's, it's, well, and that's what, that's what Pence did. And, and then he went to, you're trying to pack the court. You want to pack the court. Well, you say you're not going to pack the court. And she had the information for the rebuttal, which is, you want to talk about packing the court? Talk about the last two years of the Obama administration, Mitch McConnell refusing to allow any judges to go on the court so that the Republicans could pack the court if they won the election, which they did and they've done now. A third of all your federal judges have been appointed by Donald Trump. That's called packing the court. Putting Neil Gorsuch on the court as a, right. you know, as a replacement for Scalia instead of Merrick Garland. That's packing the court. What what we are talking about, those of us who are saying that the size of the court should be expanded, is not packing the court, it's expanding the court. And expanding the court is actually, I think, it would, it, an, an important and necessary thing at this point in time. The, because the court has seized so much power. They assert more power than the legislative branch or the executive branch. And, you know, it's can not I, the way that it was intended. Can I say one more thing? I hit the uh, music. Uh, also, she should have shot him down when you're talking about the tax. Because it's my understanding that the, the wealthy will keep theirs, but the, but the average person will lose theirs. So oh, yeah. Killing, killing the Affordable Care Act is going to be a huge tax cut for, for very wealthy people. I'll, I'll talk about that when we come back on the other side of the break. James, thank you for the call. You're we'll be right back. to the Tom Hartman Program. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. 
It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. On the Science Revolution this week, Donald Trump has tested positive for COVID-19. What does that mean for America? Dr. Michael Mann is here on Greenland and how it's set to lose more ice than in the past 12,000 years. This is a climate disaster. Gene Ross from National Nurses United drops by about the widespread failure to track and report data on COVID-19 deaths, testing, and infections. Kevin Camps from Beyond Nuclear joins me from New Mexico, begetting a radioactive waste dump. And in geeky science, an awe walk, A-W-E, an awe walk may do wonders for all of us right now. Tune into the Science Revolution wherever fine podcasts are available. It's the Tom Harbin University Book Club. Today we're reading from Minority Leader, How to Lead from the Outside and Make Real Change by Stacey Abrams. This is from Chapter One. I sit in the living room, a cozy space, warm in the early summer. I'm perched on the edge of a sofa next to Valerie, the home's owner, a lovely black woman in her late 40s. Across from us, seated close together on a wide settee met for one, are her two children, a son and a daughter. Politicians rarely visit their streets, which are nestled in a poorer community in South Georgia. Valerie beams with pride that both her children are headed to college in the fall. David, 17, plans to study criminology. Maya, 18, her belly round with her first child, intends to become a middle school teacher. Both newly graduated from high school, Maya will give birth in mere weeks and begin college months later, an unwed teen mother. Her intended school is more than three hours north of her home, so her mother will raise her newborn baby while she starts her freshman year. Valerie speaks matter-of-factly about the coming challenge, raising a new child just as hers leave the nest. Still, she is determined that both her children pursue college degrees that she never received. Maya, the mother-to-be, wonders how she'll do so far away from home and her baby. Yet in the next breath, she explains how college will be the best for her and her child. Their future success rests upon her. I've come to their home as part of my campaign for governor, so I asked Valerie what she expects of someone like me. What can I do to help make lives like hers better? In her soft voice, she replies, she just wants options for financial aid for her children. They will succeed, she says, if they can afford to stay in school. 
As I look around the modest home passed down through the generations, I understand both the pride and the desperation tangled in her response. She got them through and has given them the tools to carve out better lives for themselves. We chat more about the worries she's lived with all those years, our discussion turning to the crime and poverty in their neighborhood. Then I ask Valerie what she wants. At first, all I get in response is a quizzical look. That suggests I need to reconsider my bid for higher office. I repeat, what do you want for you? What secret dream do you have for yourself? Her confused expression turns to one of surprise. I don't know, she tells me. I've been a cashier at the Piggly Wiggly for 20 years. You must want something, I probe. Something you'd like to do for you? A daycare, she admits quietly. I'd like to start a daycare center for unwed mothers like my daughter, so more girls can finish school and pursue their dreams. But that ambition is beyond her. Her body language, her tone of voice, her averted gaze speak louder than her words. I press her, but she demurs with a smile. Let's just see what happens if you win the governor's job, she says. Valerie's house in South Georgia is not too different from the squat red brick house where I grew up on South Street in Gulfport, Mississippi. An oak tree grew in our front yard, shadowing the front sidewalk, forbidding grass to grow beneath its shade. Pink azaleas bloomed each spring from bushes that flanked the front door. Our rented house and the others set close by teemed with children, all black, all working class. We played in our postage-stamped yards, make-believing the fantastical. Superhero exploits, cops and robbers. As we got older, we'd talk about moving to New Orleans or living in one of the mansions along the beachfront that lay less than five miles away across the railroad tracks that ran in between our neighborhood and the more wealthy environs. We dreamed of more while our parents' lives centered around survival and making it from paycheck to paycheck. Instinctively, we understood that more had to be possible, even if we didn't know what to do to get there. These imaginings, these desires, are the roots of ambition. As adults, like Valerie, we tend to edit our desires until they fit our construction of who we're supposed to become. In such a world, I wouldn't dare dream of running for higher office, for mayor, or governor, or president. At least for now, Valerie sees herself retiring in 20 more years from Piggly Wiggly as a cashier, rather than as a small business owner who helps the community raise its children. From our brief meeting, I could see she had the fire, albeit of a low burn, of a minority leader. She had ambition, she had vision, but she didn't have the faith, and understandably so. Whether we come from working class neighborhoods or grow up comfortably middle class, minorities rarely come of age explicitly thinking about what we want and how to get it. People already in power almost never have to think about whether they belong in the room, much less if they would be listened to once outside. These men, and they are usually men and typically white, do not have to grapple with low expectations based on gender or race or class. Ambition for them begins with the reminiscences of old times and older friendships or newer alliances. The ends have already been decided. Only the means are to be discussed. Most potential minority leaders feel the same lack of faith Valerie had, at least at some point in their evolution. We may not know how to get the first job, let alone make it to the big chair. We don't know how to take the leap from accepting our fates to actually changing them, and not just a little, but radically. Then there are those who simply don't know what they want. The drive to achieve burns inside, often without a clear target. We want to be something, but what that is remains hazy. Often we cannot articulate our goals because they lie just beyond the reach of who we're supposed to be. Ambition's scale is irrelevant. What holds us back is not scope, it's fear. And because we don't know what to call our dreams, don't know how to make them happen, or are pretty sure we'll be disappointed, we just stand still. But becoming a minority leader demands that we embrace ambition as our due. Stacey Abrams.
Welcome back. So Bernie Sanders gets a cute little bird and Mike Pence gets a poop-seeking fly, right? I, what could be more appropriate? I mentioned what would happen if Obamacare gets repealed by the Supreme Court in, uh, what, five weeks from now. And it's pretty straightforward. The richest one-tenth of one percent of households, people whose annual income is over $3 million a year, would receive about a $200,000 a year tax cut. And people who are earning more than a million dollars a year would receive a $40,000 a year tax cut. That's how much taxes were increased on people making over a million or over $3 million to pay for health care for low-income people through the Affordable Care Act. Also, the pharmaceutical industry, Big Pharma, the drug manufacturers, would pay $2.8 billion less in taxes every year. So you've got billionaires saying to Republicans, you got to get rid of this. I want that 200,000 bucks or you've been multimillionaires. And you've got billionaires in the pharma company saying, we want those billions of dollars. So just, you know, to, because the caller just before the break brought that up, I just thought I would um, lay it out. Leslie on Lopez Island, Washington. Hey, Leslie, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. Well, I think the Democrats are being so nice and the one thing that comes to my mind every time Trump says that if he doesn't win the election that it'll be rigged is this coming from a man fined $27 million for cheating people and over 2,700 lawsuits for breach of contract. And it seems like they're just being too easy on Trump. I mean, he's a con artist and he's been impeached. And I think they're, I think Kamala could have, I think we were all expecting her to really slam Mike Pence last night, and she, she was very sort of subdued, smart, and she made some really good points, but I think the Democrats... I, I think it was... Here, here's what would have happened, Leslie. The, right now, Joe Biden is ahead anywhere from 11 to 16 points all across the country. He's ahead in, in, in Texas, you know, for God's sake. And so Kamala Harris's job last night was not to, to knock it out of the ring. Her job was not to give Mike Pence a black eye. That would have created a whole new dynamic that would be unpredictable. You don't know where that's going to go, particularly with just a few weeks until the election. Uh, uh, her point. job was to, yeah, her job was to maintain the status quo. And, and she did a very good job because the status quo is just exploding in their favor. And so uh, I think that what happened was, uh, in particular, if, if my wife is any indication and the stuff that I'm seeing online, is that women were seeing Mike Pence just, you know, talking over this woman constantly and, and whatnot. And they were offended by it. And they got what was going on. And everybody else yes, got was. that Mike Pence was, yeah, uh, that Mike Pence was avoiding the questions and lying to people. So I, I think it worked out okay. Yeah. I, I do, but I just wish somebody would call Trump on the fact he's been fined so much money for cheating people when he talks about rigged elections, because he, he's oh, yeah. one of the most dishonest men on the planet. But yeah. there you go. Certainly he's the most, yeah, he's the most dishonest president we've ever had. But yeah, spot on, uh, Leslie. And, and, and we were all, I, you know, everybody, I think, is itching to, to punch back. But, uh, you know, right I now, point, I think though, things are going in the right yeah. direction. Yeah. yeah. Leslie, thank, thank you, you for the call. It's great to hear from you. Yep. Marilyn in Sun City, West Arizona. Hey, Marilyn, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I watched the debate last night with my Republican husband, who I love, sitting right next to me. And when the first question came up about COVID, 
as soon as it was the Kamala, and as soon as she started to answer, my husband said, oh, she's not And I said, well, just wait. She's giving a bit of a preamble. And she did answer, and I said, right, there's your answer. When it came to the pre-existing conditions, which as a Canadian really matters to me, it went to Pence first, and he said, well, I want to talk about the Supreme Court. And I said to my husband, hmm, I wonder if they'll answer about pre-existing conditions. And he never did. In fact, so much so that it was about the Supreme Court, um, and he said, um, he says, uh, they put the question on the screen, the, the question um, that this is really about the Affordable Care Act, or should be. But I think the Republicans are scared to death that the Democrats, when they get in, are going to pass the court. Yeah. Oh, clearly they are, because this is this is what, you know, the, what Charles Koch and his and his little network of buddies have been funding for 40 years is, you know, let's take over America. And if we can't do it um, by by elections, and I think the 1980 election was a real sobering moment for, for David Koch, the late David Koch. Um, he only got a million votes nationwide and he poured a lot of money into that. He was running as a libertarian. Um, and, he, and he talked about it later on. David Koch did it, you know, about how he, he expected to get a whole lot more than just one million votes. So at that point, I think they kind of gave up on the idea of trying to win people, winning hearts and minds and, and gaining power through electoral strategies and started focusing on voter suppression and packing the courts so that they could, you know, they could have more influence on elections. Go ahead. My question to you, Tom, just my one quick question is, um, and I said this to your call screener, why can't when we get into power, and I'm sure it'll be a win, um, why can't we ridiculously pass the court? Like put 50 justices on. Is there a limit to how many you can put on? No, there's not. It's the limit is how what what public opinion will follow you with, and and this is I you know I I, I talked about this a couple of days ago. Um, if if Donald Trump is able to stay in office, and if the Supreme Court overturns the Affordable Care Act, overturns uh, a, a, you know and gut, and broadly speaking, and and overturns Roe v. Wade. And then the administration, you know, starts going forward and and Donald Trump does what he says he's going to do with regard to Social Security and Medicare, cut off the funding for both those programs and essentially kill them within the four years of his administration. The backlash will be so huge. I mean, this is what Herbert Hoover did for three years. You know, he had a great crash in 1929 and and for the rest of 29, all of 1930, all of 1931 and, and all of 1932. Uh, Herbert Hoover just kind of sat there and twiddled his thumbs. There were a few small efforts that he made, uh, but they, you know, they were largely inconsequential. And that's why when Franklin Roosevelt ran against him in the election of 32, uh, he just swept the table. I mean, it was just overwhelming. And that was a generational change. We may already be there. I think that we're very close to it in terms of people being horrified by massive inequality in the United States. We now have 80% of all wealth in this country is owned by the top 1%. And the bottom half of America owns less than 2% of all the wealth in this country. That, that has literally never happened before. We're worse than we were during the Great Depression. And, and that's a powder keg. I think that a lot of the problems that we have right now are the result of that. Actually, Tucker Carlson was talking about this the other day. In fact, it's, 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 this is mind-boggling. Let me just share this with you, Marilyn. This is from um, uh, Medium.com. This is what Tucker Carlson said. 
He said, billionaires should not be paying a lower tax rate than you are paying, no matter who they are, no matter who the president is. The main problem with America right now is that a shrinking group of people controls a growing share of our nation's wealth and power. America is lopsided and is getting more lopsided every year, and that makes our country unstable. Lopsidedness is why young people seem so hopeless and nihilistic, why so many of them are not starting families. It's why some of them are breaking things in the streets. It's why your grandchildren will almost certainly earn less than you do. And by the way, it's also why Donald Trump got elected four years ago. Americans could feel that something was profoundly wrong with the way our country was structured. It seemed clear that the people in charge were in it for themselves. I mean, he's right. It's not, you know, he, he continued the monologue basically saying, therefore, we need more Republicans, which is kind of crazy. But, um, you know, this, <laughs> Tucker Carlson got it right. And, and, and I, I think that big changes, I think we're on the verge of really, really big change. My hope is, you know, if you look back at these 80-year cycles in American history, the last time we had really, really big change, well, arguably after the assassination of John Kennedy, it took a crisis to produce the Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, Medicare, Medicaid, all those things in the, in the four years after Kennedy was assassinated. Then you go back to the Great Depression, but the Great Depression led to World War II, the Great Crash of 1856 that, that was actually started in process, a lot of reforms that led to the Civil War. The Great Crash of 1770 led to the American Revolution. So I'm hopeful that this time we don't get a war out of it, Marilyn. That's the thing that concerns me the most, worries me the most, particularly with a, with, with a guy you know, experiencing roid rage who's in the White House right now. Nancy Pelosi just a few minutes ago came out and said, tomorrow we are going to be discussing the 25th Amendment. And she's obviously referring to you know, Trump going on his steroid-pumped rant this morning on, on, telev- on whatever television station would take his call. But I think that America is waking up, and I think we're seeing that in the polls. And, you know, a lot of Americans really don't pay attention to politics until maybe a month before the election, two months before the election at the most. And that's what we're seeing is a whole bunch of Americans who've been listening to music and not paying attention to talk radio or to, or to uh, the news are suddenly starting to pay attention. And they're going, whoa, this is what we've got? Marilyn, thank you for the call. Yes. <laughs> so, in my opinion... Good times are ahead. We just have to navigate through this uh, rather narrow patch of rough water. We'll be right back for Rough Air. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. So who do you think won the debate? I haven't heard from any Mike Pence supporters. Where are the Mike Pence defenders? Our book today is Microtrends Squared by Mark Penn. The first chapter, The Building Blocks of Change Today, The Power of Microtrends. We live in a microtrends world. It's driven by granular, often opposite patterns of human behavior that seem small but punch above their size. We've identified these powerful patterns as microtrends, and the world is full of them. Together, they are the dots of a global impressionist painting that comes to life when you step back and look at it holistically. These forces have only become more impactful in recent years, and they've started to upend society. Ten years ago, when I first identified these patterns in change and microtrends, I saw a world of boundless opportunities. I was over-the-top optimistic about how microtrends would produce a new world of personalized products on our shelf, and how in Washington they would produce an even greater selection of fresh, first-rate political choices. Of course, that's not exactly what happened. Instead, the information age has given away to the disinformation age in which fake information abounds. 
The nation founded on free speech is grappling with how to live with free speech in the era of the Internet troll. The optimism around our economy faded with the unexpected crash of 2008, followed by a historically slow recovery over a decade. Only now is it recovering. Unparalleled consumer choice is leading not to the growth of more startups, but to the dominance of just a few Internet companies, which are amassing more and more power on the basis of data gleaned from willing but unknowing consumers. And the older generations, who in their youth, in their own youth, led a rebellion, have now dug in their heels against the politics and culture of today's new generations. What makes the microtrend such a powerful tool in this moment is that it can unpack and explain changes that we're seeing that otherwise make no sense. On the surface, for example, the middle class can seem to be shrinking, and this is alarming. But it is only by digging deeper and seeing that education is driving more people into the upper classes that we can come to understand these overall statistics at a more molecular level. Often, two diametrically opposed trends are occurring at the same time, which would be invisible in the averages, but which leap out when understood as the result of a cauldron of microtrends. Today in politics, for example, there is no overall ideological shift. Instead, one group of moderates became more conservative and another group became more liberal, causing society to become both more liberal and more conservative at the same time, essentially canceling each other out. This increased polarization then produces even more gridlock and confusion. We can see similar tugs and pulls throughout society. While one group seeks more technology, another one wants to sit in the Amtrak quiet car. Some can't sit through a six-second commercial. Others spend hours and hours binge-watching TV. Some live in a world of globalization, while others yearn for a return to greater nationalism. To explain all this, we've borrowed from Newtonian physics. For every trend, there is a counter-trend. It's human nature in the information age. Every move or desire in one direction seems to inspire a counter-move by another group in the opposite direction. For every radical group, there's a new conservative group. For every new product in mobile technology, there are those sticking to the flip phone. Only by understanding the complexity of these developments can we make sense of a world that seems senseless, confused, and even jumbled. While in 2007, microtrends allowed you to navigate the changes of the day, now microtrends squared lets you better understand the emerging chaos as the seesawing of opposite forces fighting for dominance in the social, political, and cultural worlds. In the last decade, technology was able to exploit and even conquer the world of microtrends with its ability to customize products and our lives based on AI and big data. But even as these attempts have transformed our lifestyles, they've also led to some serious unintended consequences that have further clouded society. Microtrends disentangles many of these shifts and lies at the source of many battles for power that have disrupted our world today. As you'll see throughout this book, those ongoing battles will result in some very unlikely winners, losers, and shifts in the overall power match of society. While the technology behind increased personalization of goods and services has been providing us with more choice in our daily life, we've instead been making fewer choices, burrowing into comfortable silos. We expected that the advances in our ability to customize goods and services would open us all up to a new world of never-ending experimentation. A decade later, exactly the opposite has occurred, and our society has become increasingly polarized with people finding choices they like and picking them over and over again. In 2007, microtrends explained how the Starbucks economy had succeeded the Ford economy. In the Ford economy, you could have any color you wanted as long as it was black. 
The aim of industry was to mass produce products at the lowest possible cost, and that meant standardization of goods. But the new economy of the 21st century was moving starkly away from that model, instead providing consumers with any color they wanted. The Starbucks economy was based on creating greater value through customization, even of simple products like coffee and tea. People everywhere became more individualistic in their tastes and were rebelling from carefully mowed lawns and white picket fences. The marketplace responded to these trends by allowing people to have it their own way, and they did. The theory was that more choice would result in a happier and more satisfied group of consumers. Variety would open consumers up to new experiences, in many ways bringing us closer together, allowing to, us to mix, match, and try out all sorts of new options. Something rather surprising happened, however, as consumers got more choice. The book Microtrends Squared. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.